0: Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today I'm speaking with Therese Cator. Therese is a spiritual leadership coach and a shadow alchemist who comes from a lineage of healers, spiritual teachers, intuitives, and artists. She's kind of a modern day Renaissance woman with a very eclectic background. It's taken her from corporate boardrooms to off Broadway to Hollywood sets to the classrooms of South Central LA. But I was mostly drawn by Therese's own story of her spiritual upbringing. When I connected with Therese, she was at home in Washington, D.C. So Therese, thank you so much for being my guest on the show today. I was really thrilled when you reached out to me, and I was really um, excited when I started reading your website and seeing um, all of the multiple modalities that you have and how you're bringing it all into Um, coaching. So can you just start by telling me and the listeners just a little bit about um, how you would describe yourself in terms of what you do? Oh, thank you so much, Carmen, for
1: having me. I absolutely love your show, so I feel like a fangirl right now. (laughs) (laughs) And to describe what I do, I technically describe it as a spiritual leadership coach and teacher. And really my focus is on shadow work and bringing your best self to the light. So it's really about awakening your brilliance through shadow work. And I do retreats and I do coaching and it's a combination of ritual processes, ceremonies that really bring you to Yourself, it's a remembrance process. That's what I think of it as.
0: Mm, this is totally my jam. I love it. Okay, so <laughs> I'm very uh, intrigued that you say it's shadow alchemy. So tell me a little bit. I, I read that on your site, and I thought, what is this? Is that something you've come up with? Is that um, a process you learned from someone? What is shadow alchemy? Well, shadow
1: alchemy, it comes from First, I studied psychology when I was in college, and then afterwards, I formally studied the shadow also at the Debbie Ford Institute, but also my background, I feel throughout my entire life, I've been witnessing the shadow Mm. because my family, they're healers, they're spiritual teachers, um, they're artists. And growing up, I just remember having ceremonies and rituals where you would come face to face with your shadow so that you can transform it to your light. That's not the way they said it. Mm -hmm. However, in the process of learning about it, I realized, wow, this is something I've been doing ever since I was a young girl.
0: Wow. Can you tell me, like, I, I feel very intrigued already, so I don't want to interrupt you, but if you could <laughs> just kind of fill out what that lineage was like.
1: So my dad, he was a healer. He He's passed on. He was a healer. He was a mystic. People would come to him for healings, for prayers. Um, my mom, she, in addition to being a nurse, a teacher, a designer, She's also a very powerful plant medicine healer. Um, Mm -hmm. So my mom, she's one of those people you could be like, oh, I have this ailment. And she'll be like, this is the concoction. This is the plants Mm -hmm. that you would take. So growing up, I was always surrounded by that. And her mom, my grandmother, she would um, make her own oils. So I was surrounded by the art of anointing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just goes... Down and down in my family it's just something that everyone does from my aunts to my uncles and so it's just was our your way dad like
0: a was your dad like a hands on healer or was he take was he more shamanic like he would go into trance was he like i'm fascinated by this because it sounds very like it's come through in this um organic kind of way uh, maybe i'm misconstruing that but it's like what 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 had you witnessed his healings with other with his his the people who would come to him
1: yes i've witnessed that i've been part of also the ceremonies mm-hmm. and i would say it's um I would say shamanic, you can call it shamanic, but he would also sometimes do hands-on, which, which would mean with oils or with, you know, just the touch. Mm -hmm. Um, so I witnessed him doing healings in lots of different ways and he would, you know, do that for myself and my, and my siblings as
0: well. Wow. Powerful. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So then you, you do the Debbie Ford, you do all these things. This is fascinating. And how does it get synthesized then into shadow alchemy?
1: The way that it gets synthesized, it's really taking the, the left brain and the right brain and bringing it together. Hmm. So it's combining, I would say the masculine and the feminine, the experiential and the intuitive and bring it together so that you can uncover those hidden parts of your subconscious and bring them into the light. So it's really a holistic and integrative process. So that could be like, okay, we're going to sit in circle and we're going to meditate that can look like doing a flower ceremony that can look like going through a specific process um, so the way it shows up can change. However, um, I would say the, the goal is always the same. So it's bringing, bringing you to your light. It's turning the process of alchemy, turning whatever that muck is into gold.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. So here's the question coalescing for me. <laughs> Therese, what did you witness in your shadow? that became so compelling for you that you actually wanted to do this work? I think what I witnessed in my shadow was
1: a lack of worth, Mm. not being worthy. Mm. And I think that not being worthy, that gets strengthened sometimes, well, not sometimes, by the media. Mm-hmm. By even you know even the household I even though it was spiritual it wasn't perfect by mm-hmm. you know our parents even by our siblings our teachers and that lack of worthiness um, was brought to the surface and I was like okay I know this is not the truth of who I am because there would be moments glimpses where I would be like okay I know the truth of who I am so how do I alchemize this? How do I change this? Hmm. And it's really by being with, being with it. And then realizing that I was realizing that my birthright is worthiness.
0: Okay. So uh, let's take, let's go down 20 more stairs into the underworld here. How, (laughs) How do you discern when you are doing your own shadow work, do you, how do you personally? I'm not. I'm not expecting. You know, n- nobody really has the answers. But how do you personally discern when you're doing this shadow work that it's um, healing work that you need to do in terms of your own personal history, and when you need to recognize that actually it's because you live in like a white supremacist or a capitalist culture or patriarchal culture, and actually that's just the fucking bullshit. That, 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 do you know what I mean? Like you're taking on the personal responsibility of healing. The goal, as you say, is always the same. You want to bring this into the light and you want to find your worthiness. But I mean, that sounds pretty tough. If in some cases it's that the world is just a really, um, alienating, uh, you know, diminishing, um, difficult place to live.
1: Yes, I hear you. And immediately what comes to mind is this, this phrase that Michael Bernard Beckwith, who is the leader of Agape, says. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he says is to be in the world, but not of the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that means so many different things. <laughs> like We can go down the <laughs> rabbit hole of what that means. But being in the world and not of the world is, for me, realizing what's triggering me, right? Because sometimes a thing that's triggering me could be my own stuff. And sometimes a thing that's triggering me could be what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. However, I think they're both opportunities for my own healing because, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the person who is the white supremacist, they are doing things that could require me to look at, okay, I need to look at a certain aspect of myself, the part of myself that, you know, all that violence, a part of myself that is violent. Let's just take it. Let's take that as an example. Mm-hmm. And I can do healing on that aspect. That doesn't mean that it negates what the white supremacists are doing. It doesn't mean that it absolves what they're doing. It's to- totally not. However, I think every single thing that, that we witness is an opportunity for our own healing. And through our own healing, it's an opportunity for the collective healing.
0: Mm, mhm, yeah, I hear you on that i yeah i think I like that phrase from michael bernard bedworth i I think of it also as um you know being able to stay present to the world while also able to self regulate and so mm. recognizing, oh, when is my own trauma or my own triggers, like when is it taking me out of my resiliency, and you know sometimes I need to then withdraw or you know care for myself in some other way, but um, yeah, I, I hear you on that. So I'm actually really interested in, um, you mentioned somewhere that you spent like 10 years going to Agape International or something like that. And I'm like, that must have been super activating. So awesome. Because, I mean, Beckwith, talk about a charismatic dude. <laughs> yes. And he he's amazing. I, I think that
1: he is a modern day mystic. And yeah you know, having been able to witness him for those 10 years is that he's really someone who walks the talk. Mm. And he's someone who, the person that you see up there, that's who he is. Because I've encountered him just like in everyday life, hey, at the grocery store. And that's truly who he is. And I mean, honestly, I spent a lot of those years just crying, (laughs) you know, just crying with my own stuff, because if, you know, when we're put into spaces, sacred space, if we allow that sacred space to work on us, and I I feel that being at Agape, I allowed that whole experience just being there, going to different workshops, um, studying, going deeper, doing the actual work when I left, it works on us, it worked on me. Hmm. And so I just spent just a lot of time just crying uncried tears Hmm. and a lot of time just letting go of unbottled, you know, screams, Hmm. screams that were bottled, I should say.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it was just a really cathartic process. And I'm just, I'm, you know, eternally grateful for all the all the teachings, but what i what I think the beauty is of agape of what uh, Reverend Michael does is that it 's about experiential, mm-hmm. and I think approaching our spirituality through the experiential lens opposed to the intellectual lens is mm-hmm. you know i think that 's where that 's the path that 's mm-hmm. the true path
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well and it 's reminding me again of your dad sometimes being the hands-on healer, right? Just that very experiential um, way of revealing the shadow, facing the shadow and making the unconscious conscious. And so I'm, I'm thinking now about the relationship. Can you tell me a little bit about the personal relationship that you had with your dad? Was it very close? Was it complicated?
1: It was very, very close. And very, very complicated <laughs> it, it was really both of those things, and you know one of the reason why it was complicated was you know my dad he lived abroad while my mother and my sister and I lived in the United States, so mm. he was not physically here, mm. although all the time, although I felt his presence and i I was very, very close to him and I just remember even right before his right before he passed he came to me in a dream mm. to tell me he was going and I was like no mm. no and that that was our relationship and I mm. and he was meant to be my dad mm. <laughs> like you're you're making you know and mm. the emotion is coming up he was truly meant to be my dad
0: oh and so I, yeah, thank you. I'm very touched that you are sharing <laughs> that beautiful relationship. I've never had anything like that. So it's really nice to experience it. Even vicariously, I can feel the love. And so how many years ago did he die? Um, it is now
1: going, it's five years. It's, it's mm. a little over five and a half years.
0: Mm. And how is it going having, uh, i'm sure that there's probably um a strong spiritual connection I would imagine he 's probably come to you in dreams but in the the physical experience, how are you coping with the absence of your father in your life i
1: think um in the beginning it was so 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 difficult I was definitely in the in the denial and i didn't want to face it however now i've it's i'm in full acceptance mode mm. and i know that he's with me and he sends me messages and master classes i call them master classes <laughs> of what's my next step um a lot of times he he does that like he comes to me like during his birthday or my birthday mm. and i'm like oh i know that it's him um mm. like for example i think um his past birthday my my husband brought me Um, like these American airline peanuts like things (laughs) and I was like you've never brought this in all these years and I was and it was on my dad's day Mm. and I knew it was a message from him (laughs) so you know I I do miss him however I know that he's doing whatever work that he needs to be doing there and that Mm. he's still supporting he's still supporting me where I am now
0: Mm -hmm. do you have any special observances that you do for him like is there any ceremony or anything that you'd be willing to share at all about how you maintain that connection or how you seek guidance from him you know I think
1: my ceremony is my life Mm. and that was the clear message that I got from him because I remember when he first died and um And I was just crying and I like heard his voice really clearly that says, stop messing around. (laughs) But he, he more so said like, stop fucking around. That's, that's really what he said. (laughs) And, and I started, I burst out laughing and I was like, that's totally him. (laughs) And what he wants is for me to live. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants for me to live, for me to liberate my light for me to carry on to create my own legacy to be happy. So and I think for me now having my son, um years a couple of years later, I, I realize of course that's what he wants because that's what I would I want for my son. Mm-hmm. So really having a child makes me even more grounded and present to 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 what my father would want for me.
0: Mm. So uh, about um, a year after your father died, so you have this major bereavement, maybe a year later, I would imagine you're maybe just kind of starting to get back to some kind of semblance of normal, and you write on your website that right around Thanksgiving, suddenly you find yourself with over a dozen guns pointed at your back. And you say, on that cloudless night with tears streaming down my face, staring at the heavens, I promised that if I made it out alive, I would liberate my light and help others do the same. And I, was, I found that a very arresting scene, <laughs> just like two sentences that just conjured this um, chilling scene. And I'm wondering if you can tell me how that came to be
1: yeah it's um it, it definitely what you said, I was you know just getting my footing in terms of the greeting, grieving process, and it just was my husband and I we went out for for a chat, and through that chat, we got misidentified for someone the police was looking for. That's my understanding of what happened, and we ended up being stopped by the police. However, we were treated as though we were criminals. And this ended up being a very long process where there were literally, I don't know how many police cars, at least half a dozen police cars and dozen guns pointed at our backs that I could see in my peripheral vision. Helicopters were up ahead. And I remember it was in that moment, I I wasn't scared even though tears were coming down my my face and I just remember feeling that there is a greater power and if this is it then you know this is it however I I still believed with all my being that there was no power greater than the power that was within me so those guns that were pointed at us those helicopters Regardless of what happened, there was no power greater than the power that was within me.
0: Oh, my God. You weren't scared? Like, I'm scared. Do you think your dad came? Or, like, how did you become so aware of that? Like, do you think it was the decade you spent at Agape? Do you think you've had that since you were a kid? It sounds like something came upon you that was, I would call that numinous, right? Just (laughs) an encounter with the great mystery that like, how could that happen in that moment? How do you make sense of it?
1: That's the thing. I actually can't make sense of it because because I get scared over like little things
0: (laughs) in my life now. Like, oh
1: my God, you know, oh my God, I'm afraid that, you know, Isaiah, he's doing something. Is he going to fall? He's learning to walk right now. And I'm like scared (laughs) that he's learning to walk. And then here I am in this situation with a dozen guns and I'm like, oh, I feel the power of the universe behind me. So (laughs) yeah. And I think that's, that's the great mystery of it. And mm-hmm. I think at that moment, it was a moment where I feel that I was touched by grace. Mm-hmm. My husband and I, I think we were just touched by grace, God, source, just connected to it mm-hmm. in spite of those
0: extraordinary circumstances right your husband was there did you feel connected to him in that moment or is this kind of in the debrief you both realized that you just got really calm like or were you guys able to make eye contact like how, how did you how did that affect your bond it's we actually weren't
1: able to make eye contact because we had to get out the car we couldn't look behind us all we can see was through our peripheral vision had to get down on the floor on our knees hands behind our back we were pushed on the floor So the connection just had to be through sensing. Mm. It had just to be through, and they tried to separate us because they didn't know if we had weapons, what was going, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. they thought. So yes, that, and I think we both had a, a, a united experience, but then mm-hmm. we both had our individual experiences as well. Mm-hmm. And you ask whether it was agape, whether it was my childhood, mm-hmm. I think it was everything. Like everything just came and synthesized
0: mm-hmm.
1: in that moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And for whatever it was, you know, that moment, even I, I remember just looking at the sky, just being like, okay, I know that I'm not fully Stepping into my power the way that I should be, Hmm. I I just knew it in that moment, Hmm. and that's that's why I made that promise. Um, because I was hiding. I had a whole other business, um, you know, doing something else. I was great at it. However, this—the truth of who I am and what I could bring to the world, how I meant to serve—I was hiding in the shadows.
0: Hmm. So. How quickly after that event did that difference did did that was that shift made? Like did you just kind of the next day you were like, that is it, I'm off, or 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 did you have to go through some recovery period from that? Because I just I, I I can only imagine the not just the the um discharge of all the fear that would have needed to happen after, but also the rage and just the yeah the anger I mean, maybe I'm projecting, but I just would imagine that that would take a while, or did you just find like, nope, I had this numinous experience, and the next day I went on a different path I think what what happened
1: the next day is I got angry. I was really angry that that happened to us um because you know it, in some respects it was profiling, yeah, and however, beyond the anger. There was something deeper. So mm-hmm. what it made me do was work through it,
0: mm-hmm. work
1: through it, um, work through my anger, work through all those feelings, and come to a space of actually forgiving those those people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, forgiving those of- officers and forgiving the the guy who had followed us and he who even started all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it. <sighs> It it was my life didn't change instantaneously. Mm -hmm. It was a process. But what it was, was this resolve that every single day, I would take a step, a leap, sometimes it was a crawl towards what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. and right now we're speaking years later those are those little steps and that you know those crawls at times or you know sometimes wailing and being like no I don't want to do it (laughs) but I always go back to that moment of okay I'm on this path I knew (laughs) that I was supposed to be on this path but I'm really on this path this is what I'm meant to do.
0: Mm. So okay so I hear you say you did the work and you have a Tremendous toolkit. Um, But I'm very curious how could you share kind of more specifically on the days when you were rageful, like just furious that that happened to you? What were some of the specific, you know, practices or processes or rituals? Like, what were some specific things that helped you cope with rage? Screaming. Nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh,
1: you know, really getting visceral, you know, I, I, you know, we talked earlier about having to be experiential. Mm. And sometimes it's visceral, it's in our body rage, and all of that exists in our bodies. And I had to get those screams out, I had to get those tears out, I had to write, I had to, you know, activate my activism (laughs) as well. Um, So get into action, Um, doing you know public public work. (laughs) I'm I'm not saying public work. I'm I'm doing doing public service. I should say, Mm -hmm. yeah, helping others and and starting to share about that experience Mm -hmm. because you know part of there there's two layers, right? The 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 layer of doing the work and showing up, and then there's the other layer of okay, we live in this world based on the color of our skin, based on um, our religion, our sexuality, our gender, where we have all these different labels that are placed upon us. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 in that moment, I experienced both of those two worlds, you know, the shadow of the things that we need to work on, as well as the things, you know, the work, the The world needs to work on.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm getting chills because it's so true. Anger, it's got to be discharged. It's got to move through the body. And I love how you you got more audible and visible in the world. Right. Like I. That. Yeah. I love how you sort of framed that that event as yeah just confrontation with both the shadow and the possibility of the light all in that moment that's beautiful what what about the grief you know whether it's grieving your father or grieving the world or grieving all those who maybe they had that numinous moment but they didn't survive how do you deal with the grief
1: there's this beautiful phrase from vipassana meditation which i practice and it says anicca 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 and it essentially means impermanence Mm -hmm. and it's the law of impermanence and i think you know for me and i think as everyone could could relate to this is as humans, we fight change. we want the permanent. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes I want the permanent mm-hmm. and really becoming present that nothing is permanent, mm-hmm. and even the grief isn't permanent, so that's one of the ways that. It, I work through my grief knowing that because sometimes it feels so heavy. It feels so like the world is on my shoulders and I'll, and I'll literally say to myself, Anicca, 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 and this too shall pass.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: This grief shall pass. Mm -hmm. It's not going to last forever. And, you know, um, having worked through depression, like even days where, you know, I'm like, Oh, this is not my best day. I always say this too shall pass. There is always not even only a new day. There's always a new moment. Mm -hmm. So giving ourselves that space to grieve is so, so important. Um, I know in, in my family is from Haiti and the grieving process, my mom, she told me recently about how she grieved for her father and it was days long. Mm -hmm. Um, because at that time, you know, uh, the person would die in their home mm-hmm. and then you would leave them overnight and everyone would she said everyone stayed up and would basically because no one <laughs> there's a phrase i'm trying to think of it it's it says the living can't watch the dead it's mm-hmm. it it mildly translates to that in creole and they would stay up all night in circle while the 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 person who's passed is still in the house hmm. and the grieving process would take place over days. Hmm. And right now I think we live in a world where we're expected to, okay, be done with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's move on. And I think even, you know, we see that through all different phases of life. Like you have a baby. Okay. You have a baby bounce back. Yes, you right. Someone died, bounce back. And yeah. I think it, it really does us a disservice mm-hmm. when we are, forced or, or even pushing ourselves to bounce back when we're not truly ready to mm-hmm. bounce back because we will know like, and I, and remember telling my mom, my mom was like, oh, wow, you're really, you know, she, she knew I was really grieving deeply for my dad. And, and I just told her that when I'm done, my body will tell me.
0: Mm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So
1: trusting our grieving process and not even, you know, I know there's like the seven steps of grieving, but -hmm. sometimes you could go to step three and then you revert back to step Mm -hmm. two. So it's not a linear process. So allowing ourselves the space to grieve the space to, to feel whatever, whatever's coming up.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Grief is super unpredictable. Um, And I just want to say I can really feel the love for your father as you're talking about grief. And, you know, as Martin Prechtel talks about, like, uh, grief is a form of praise. And I just, I feel really honored to have been able to hear his stories and hear your love for him through um, everything you've shared. And thank you for going here with me. You know, I really, I, I, I'm, I'm really touched Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Therese. Thank you so much for having me, Carmen. It was a pleasure. Thank you. She's a better woman than I am. I'm less shocked than I used to be by things like racial profiling since I started to um, examine my own privilege a bit more. But I'm still enraged. Like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive the people who did that to Therese and her husband or the state power that allowed them to do it. I mean, <laughs> like white people, can you imagine like you, you, you're going out for dinner and minutes later, you're on the ground with guns on your back and half a dozen police cars? Like, can you? No, no, you can't stop trying. You can't imagine because it would never happen. <sighs> so, okay. Taking a breath, feeling my feet because goddamn. I'm deeply grateful to Therese for sharing her stories with us today Um, and you know I'm also aware that we're invoking something vulnerable here so um, I would like to read a charm of protection um, from a book of incantations gathered from the Scottish Highlands in the mid-1800s called the Carmina Gadelica. It's giving me strength these days and um This is an excerpt from one of the uh, few different variations on the invocation of the graces. And I offered this specifically to Therese, and, of course, to all those in need of protection. Thou art the star of each night, thou art the brightness of each morn. Thou art the tidings of each guest, thou art the enquiry of every land. Thou shalt travel a rough road and thou shalt not redden thy foot. Thou shalt journey upward, and come down again. Thou shalt journey over ocean, and come again hither. No peril shall befall thee, on knoll nor on bank, in hollow nor in meadow, on mount nor in glen. The shield of Michael is over thee, king of the bright angels, to shield thee and to guard thee from thy summit to thy soul. Nor shall man, nor shall woman, nor shall son, nor shall daughter, Make glance nor wish, hate nor jealousy, Love nor eye, envy nor endurance, That shall sunder thee, that shall lie upon thee, That shall subdue thee, that shall wound thee. Host shall not make, false one shall not make, Fairy shall not make, world shall not make, Sling nor catapult, spear nor shaft, Axe nor javelin, hook nor sword, That shall affect thee, that shall afflict thee, That shall wound thee. That shall overpower thee. Thou art the love of each living creature. Thou art the love of each living creature. Today, I'd like to thank my listeners in uh, Washington, D.C., that's Teresa's new hometown. Uh, thank you for listening for every, every month and um, please welcome Teresa if you see her there. As she mentioned, she also runs retreats and works with one-on-one clients, so please visit her website, which is linked in the show notes uh, on my website, along with several of the other things we mentioned, including Agape International. And finally, just a heads up that the deadline to place your deposit to come on Quest with me is April 15th, 2018. Get all the details at carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N. S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.